0: Ten,
1: it's got the code. It's going to launch. It's a unique system. I know this. It's all the files of the whole park. It tells her everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered.
0: Hello, out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber billionaires these days, am I right? It just seems like none of them want to stick around. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are looking into outer space, Mark Zuckerberg and John Carmack are looking into the inner space of virtual reality. So many of them are buying up land and luxury survival bunkers in New Zealand, it's hard to keep track. Do they know something that we don't, or do they just have the money to act on the fears that they themselves were instrumental in creating? Here today to help me answer that question is Douglas Rushkoff. Rushkoff is a media theorist, author, and spiritual precursor to the Whole Motherboard Project. He's just written a new book that's out on September 6th, Survival of the Richest Escape Fantasies of Tech Billionaires. Sir, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing Cyber. Um, So... The laying out the laying out the groundwork for this book is a story that you tell of being summoned to come out and talk
2: to rich people. Can you can you give me that story? Yeah. You know, it's funny because this story was like the aside at the end of a medium piece I was writing about kind of the externalization of damage from tech and all that. And the editor, back when they had editors at media, it was this other era. Like there's these professional people; they read your piece and they give you notes and stuff. It was just, it's just a different world. I understand, but he said, "Dude, that's really make that's your lead. That's your lead." I was like, "What? It's just this consult with a bunch of fucking assholes." He goes, "No." This is like real. So the story that it turns out, yeah, I, you know, you live something you don't realize. It's like it's like childhood trauma or something. You kind of forget it. Um, I buried it. It The story was I was supposed to do this talk, you know, about like the digital future for some business people. Yeah, you know, this this is that thing where where you write books about technology and people think you're a futurist because tech is like futury. It's like, I'm so not a futurist. I'm a presentist, you know, if, if anything, uh, I, 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 you know, anarcho-syndicalist presentist that gets called by like rich people to to give them advice on where they should invest their their money. So I figured it was one of those. And, And I got flown out in a business class to this resort and I'm sitting waiting in the green room for them to take me on stage. And instead of bringing me out, they bring these five dudes in there who like, two of them i know i documented are definitely billionaires but i think the other three are um but they're you know super rich guys and and they started out asking me the regular questions that that tech investor kind of people do you know bitcoin or ethereum augmented reality or virtual reality you know all that it's like like we used to be like mac or pc or or uh, moving coil or moving magnet uh, cartridge on your turntable it was like those kind of questions you know But then eventually they got to uh, Alaska or New Zealand and the whole hour was spent, you know, with me kind of water testing their bunker and survival strategies. You know, one has an island, one's going underground, one's thinking, you know, polar ice cap or something. And, and the, the big question they were asking, which was kind of symbolic of their whole enterprise was, um, when our money is worthless because the event has happened, you know, the, the, how are we going to keep our security guards from killing us? Because you know, they're all bringing out, you know, they're going to be armed to the teeth with these Navy SEALs. They're flying out to, you know, protect their compounds from the likes of you and me who don't have compounds or food or, you know, or radioactive shields. And, and, and it, it kind of went through my head that, oh my God, they really, they, they're really at the, at the, at the end of their kind of intellectual tether. They're in this, in this walking dead scenario game and uh, and that that these guys you know the the richest most powerful people i had ever been in a room with felt utterly helpless to protect themselves from from the coming crises of their own making really what did they were they specific about what they think the event is going to be the different ones had different things i mean the the most likely was climate crisis um not that climate crisis make everything unlivable but lead to enough climate refugees that government break down you know governments break down that they they need to be protect themselves so they're really looking to create in some ways it's their ultimate fantasy they're looking for an excuse i think to create a self-sovereign seasteaded mountaintop you know uh virtual compound you know they they want a, an excuse to to build the uh uh moat around themselves that they've longed for all this time
0: why it occurred to me reading this that this is something that happens to you quite a bit what like not this specific scenario but i remember (laughs) like life life inc you get you get flown out somewhere and you're talking to people about climate change and you point out um you know we're all sitting around talking about this climate crisis and we're all drinking a bunch of you came in on private jets and we're drinking from these these, these bottles of water, what's going on? And then I also remember uh, I, I tried to find the video, but I couldn't pinpoint the exact one. Um, you were giving talks when Program or Be Programmed was published. And I remember you you got very uh, heated with some tech executives begging them to read the book um, and and explaining to them that the world that they are building for all of us is perhaps not a workable one. How do, you, wh- wh- how do you always end up in these situations where you're in front of this audience that
2: is only getting like half of your message? Well, I mean, I think a lot of us end up in front of those audiences, and my my superpower or tragic flaw depending on how you look at it is i end up kind of it, it kind of stirs up almost a, a rabbinic impulse in me you know <laughs> it's kind of isaiah like uh, my god what are you doing uh, you know because you know I'll, I'll i'll be talking to a bunch of you know young tech executives and then all of a sudden i'll see them as oh my god you're as nineteen-year-old children, you were plucked from college before you took philosophy or ethics or economics. You transferred parental authority onto, you know, Mark Andreessen or Peter Thiel or somebody, and now you actually believe that, that that venture capitalism is kind of a pre-existing condition of nature, and and you're so ready to disrupt this market or that market or see the underlying operating system of of you know your Unix or your PC or, or uh, 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 a Linux, but you can't see the operating system, the basic one of, oh my gosh, if you take all that money from investors, you're going to have to pay them back a hundred X. So they're going to force you to pivot your great idea to something really bad. You know, look at what happened to all of our little friends. Look at, any single one of them you know even even zuckerberg now who's saying he wants to give back 99 percent of his money it's like well dude what if you had built a 99 percent less extractive evil platform you know then maybe you wouldn't have to give back all that money there was he was on joe rogan yesterday did you see this by chance i heard that he was yeah i just can't imagine him having two hours of stuff to say it was
0: three hours Wow. It was three hours. It was kind of it was it was kind of fascinating. Something that struck me that he that a thread that kept recurring um, is you know I didn't get into this business to build a machine that makes everybody angry. That's not what I wanted to do. Anyway, let's talk about the metaverse. It was kind mm. of that where he would be like I like I don't like Facebook anymore. I'm not having a good time. Everyone's mad. Let's talk about virtual reality. And that's I thought exactly,
2: about I mean, yeah, that's your book. Yeah that's it that is this book because really what it is is and i think i do say it specifically in the book but the the since the book i've been thinking about it sort of more from this perspective is that these guys when they when they run to get to the end of their tether it's like whether it's industrialism has gotten to sort of the end of uh, the amount that industrialism could extract from people and places when zuckerberg gets to the 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 when Facebook and Zuckerberg get to the very end of their ability to make money by extracting data from people and their subscription rate kind of peaks, what do they do? They they go meta. They And in Zuckerberg's case, he's literally going meta. He calls it meta. But they move, they go one sort of order of magnitude. It's what Peter Thiel means by going from zero to one, that you see all your competitors and you go one order, literally one order of magnitude. You need to be 10x bigger than everybody else. Or Zuckerberg going meta or or Jeffrey Epstein. You know, he's like, oh, I'm a god above these people. I'm one order of magnitude. Or or Zuck, who thinks he's, uh, you know, August. Justice that 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 or 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 i mean the original dudes who did this were the the financial industry really saying here are these people doing real businesses but what we're going to do is go one level above and supply the cash for those businesses to happen it's tim o'reilly's old web 2.0 go meta on the competition create the platform that aggregates everybody else who's actually doing the thing and that's what these guys are doing they reached the end of the world oh my god we've torched this place. What are we going to do? Let's go to Civilization 2.0 or Jim Rutt game B. Yeah. Game A. <laughs> you know, let's go to game B. And then you got people like Deal or or Steve Bannon who say, yeah, game B 2.0. Let's just tear this thing down as quickly as possible. Wipe the slate clean and and rebuild, you know, reboot, defrag and reboot this thing. It's really fascinating. All these guys, you know, move fast and break stuff.
0: Uh, They had really great ideas for how to disrupt everything. Um, Building doesn't seem like is much in their DNA, and what they're talking about building seems pretty alien to the rest of
2: us. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, what are they building? They, they, most of what they're building are private uh, uh, very private protected enclaves you know even you know web 3 is what is virtual reality plus a blockchain so it's like a pre a pre privacy ending verification driven universe it's like it's 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 odd. It's like it's like some weird. It's like it's like life in an RFID RFID tag or something. It's like so strange. I'm like that's anything that there's a problem. Let's just move it onto the ledger, as if somehow keeping track of it on a digital ledger, and then that'll be okay. You know, that's transparency. That's uh, authentication. It's like, man, people like me, and I'm not a crook. People like me, we live in the wiggle room we live in that <laughs> in that space what we used to call anti aliasing it's basically these random fuzzy characters that you put around something to make it look more round you know it, it that's where i don't know that's where that's where i exist and the the colder and more exacting the universes that they want to build for us become the less place there is for the weird slacker artist humanist so let's talk about
0: the the kind of one of the main ideas of the book—that's this counter to this—the culture, the the slacker, weirdo, the mindset, mm. this thing that you encountered in the desert. What is the mindset? Can you define it for us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think most simply, I really should, you know, if I'm going to talk about this book, I really should have a definition for the mindset, right? Um, it's, it's like the central theme. Um, so, thanks for that. I'll jot something down after this talk. Um, the mindset, I think, is basically the belief that with enough money and technology that one can outrun the externalized damage created by that money and technology. You know, it's 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 what I've been calling like the insulation equation. And that's really what I felt like these billionaires were asking. How much money do we need to earn in order to insulate ourselves from the reality we're creating by earning money in this way? You know, it's like, how do I drive a car that drives fast enough to escape from its own exhaust? And I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, tenets to the mindset, but it, it kind of the sweetest way to understand the mindset would be like my immigrant parents and grandparents came to America and lived in the slums. The poorest tenement slums that existed at the time. And the object of the game for them was to get educated and do hard work and make enough money to get themselves out of the slums and into a good neighborhood. Well, what about when the whole world becomes a bad neighborhood? Right. You can't move out. Right. So the, 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 I understand what they want to do is like, Oh, look, the world's going to shit. Let's go to Mars. Let's get seasteading. Let's get on a rooftop. Let's do a thing. But it's like, no, no, no. You can't. There's a certain point at which you realize there's no other neighbor. There's nowhere to go. There is no escape that we're all here together that that, the planet is one thing. And I don't need to be a hippie to 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 say that 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 even the super capitalists are understanding they're they're coming to understand there's no way to shield themselves from disease, poverty, the masses, um, hate, uh, uh January 6th for all these things that are out there. They're thinking, oh shit, you know, the shit's gonna hit the fan. What are we gonna what are we gonna do? Um and and I'm here trying to convince them, no, no, your mindset, you're, you're trapped in a mindset that that you're trapped in them. It's the same. The mindset is the same set of ideas that leads people to believe that the way to build a technology company is with an exit strategy in mind. You know, if you're running businesses and everything you do with an exit strategy, then of course, we're going to build a world that requires an exit strategy as well. But there's no way out, right? We're actually here, you know, at least a majority, maybe Bezos and his family, like Noah, We'll get to Mars and somehow create enough robots to build a dome and live poison-free. Good luck with that. But the rest of us are still here, and and uh, I think we need to we need to stop trying to build yet another contraption. It's like the the way out may not be another big idea, a hundred million dollar MacArthur-funded idea for growing alfalfa on rocks or raising babies in nuclear waste zones you know whatever it might be that 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 these giant scaled things so well an answer to your question the mindset is a belief that somehow with enough money and technology you can execute an exit strategy to shield yourself from all the damage that you're doing that you can outrun your own poop
0: the only way to get through chapel perilous is just to go forward right Um, Yeah, which is true. Yeah, which is true. true,
2: But doesn't mean forward running fast and breaking things. It could mean moving forward in a different way. Time does move forward. There's other
0: people in the chapel behind you that are also trying to get through. And everyone seems to forget that. Um, Right, right. Why? So at least like Carmack and uh, Gabe Newell, Valve and Zuckerberg, they do have a plan for everybody. Uh it's one that's a little frightening, I think. You know, this idea that um it's it's really bizarre to hear people like Carmack and Zuckerberg talk about virtual reality because their conception of it is rooted in cyberpunk fiction from the 80s and 90s. But it was a view that when I was reading those books, thought, wow, this is terrible. I hope we never do this. And they seemed to say, yes, this is good, let's build the shipping containers. Um, you know, not everyone can live in a mansion. <laughs> so you can sit in your shipping container in this piece of equipment that I've sold you for a thousand dollars and you can pretend to be in a mansion.
2: <laughs> I know. They look at like Ready Player One and they go, Oh, that's a pretty good idea. We'll just stack 'em. We'll them in trailers and plug them into the Matrix. This is great. <laughs>
0: why do you think why do you why do you think that inner space has kind of become this one of the retreat
2: spaces well it works doesn't it uh at least for a a period of time it it kind of gets you through i mean yeah you bring the screen as close as possible to the pupil and and shut out you know i mean the problem is the the uh, the reason why it were it it is appealing is because it works for a certain amount of time. The reason why it's dangerous is because reality does not respect the guardian boundary of your Oculus Rift. <laughs> it's like the the other guy, you know, like the guy's robbing your house or something. He's not gonna, he's not gonna stop. You can be wait, no, no, you're not ta- you're not supposed to. It, it doesn't quite work. Like the, the world doesn't respect that. So it's a, a it's it's an illusion. Is is the problem? Illusions are are compelling, but they're they're models. You can't actually go there. Whatever Ray Kurzweil wants to believe, you don't get to go there. There's going to be an NPC pretending to be you there, but that's not you. You'll be fucking dead. Um. So, but I, I see the appeal of it. The other appeal of it is. I mean, it goes all the way back to like Francis Bacon's maybe, maybe misquoted, but, but notion of empirical science, you know, that the science and technology will allow us to, you know, hold nature down and submit her to our will, that these worlds are safe and clean and hermetically sealed. There's no real women or moisture or darkness and unpredictability, you know, the mossy, you know, weirdness of nature, you know, the weird mud between your toes. You you don't have to deal with that. It's like this clean, you know, pubic hair-free, dry, you know, <laughs> that's the idealized the, world. The meta
0: avatars don't have anything below the waist, I thought has always been I, very I, telling. I
2: know. When are they gonna get up to that? I, they're floating around. But that's the thing, you know, and 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 not to get too spiritual, but the thing I keep talking about with people who are afraid and all that, I, I keep telling them, put your feet on the ground, put your feet on the ground. You know, talk to any like, yeah, you know, Qigong or, or a yoga teacher, someone like that, or a somatics counselor. They'll say with your feet on the ground, you know, is how your body registers. It is safe. And It is connected. It's grounded. Your feet on the ground is a really important thing. I mean, people in in wheelchairs and all have to have to compensate for not having their feet on the ground feeling. And in virtual reality, it's like this sort of this this legs up the, the legs up existence. The fact that the legs weren't there felt almost more than coincidental because you are you're not on terra firma anymore and once you disconnect from the ground you're so much more manipulable too when you don't have a sense of groundedness of presence in the world then you can be uh uh just so much more easily kind of controlled and manipulated because you're going to have to use the anchors of the virtual world to navigate yourself rather than any that are connected to the real one. And that's the part that gets me worried about, you know, sort of the augmented reality of uh, of the future where if I haven't paid to be on the map, then do I even exist for these people, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would think that you wouldn't. And I would imagine, I would hope, in that kind of future, there would be a robust and thriving culture that lives outside of uh, that world that they have created. Uh, but yeah, and we'll
2: funny, you know, when you talk about uh, uh, the sort of early cyberpunk visions of virtual reality, you know, and I'm thinking of William Gibson and Bruce Sterling and, 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 and Ru- Rudy Rucker and all, those were friggin nightmares those were like like when you talk to William Gibson about his work I once got to interview him he was like oh no I'm I'm modeling myself after like Thomas Pynchon he wasn't that wasn't Asimov he wasn't thinking he was like this is friggin this is like horror, you know, and the fact that those visions end up becoming, like you're saying, now they're like these weird, they're seen as positive visions, it's like, no, 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 these were warnings, <laughs> even the matrix, these are warnings, not, not wishes. And that's, that's, it's just, a, it's an interesting, uh, uh, it's an interesting flip, even, um, you know, Marshall McLuhan, you know, and he got, he got chosen to be like patron saint of Wired magazine. He'd be rolling in his grave. Marshall McLuhan was not a happy futurist. The global village that he, that was a nightmare he was trying to describe, saying, it's no, no, you don't get it. Everyone's going to be in your business, everyone's going to be looking over your shoulder. People think global village meant, oh, it'll be like a giant hands around the world electronic virtual Facebook. Facebook's going to build the global village yeah it's gonna be awful you're gonna have no privacy everyone's gonna know everything about you and you're gonna get cancelled and it's gonna be uh, now you're gonna get canceled instead of getting kicked out of your town you're gonna to get kicked out of the the world it's not it's not good but but all those visions became or uh 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 kind of co-opted as positive futures you know a future where we're gonna to have to die and upload our brains to a uh a, a computer that's that's a sad future, not a happy one.
0: Yeah, it's really straight it's it's funny. I was been thinking about Gibson a lot lately because I just read uh, a bunch of his short stories and there's a really great one um, called like the the Gernsback's Continuum, which is about a guy that he's a he's a visual artist that is haunted by visions of Asimovian futures from the 1930s and 40s. He's walking around, he keeps seeing them everywhere. Um, he realizes that these are like semiotic ghosts that are stuck in our, our, our visual field. These things that like these visions of the future that didn't come to pass, you know, you're thinking about the big, weird 1950s rocket ships and kind of like that fallout aesthetic. Um, and he has to, he has to like take a bunch of speed and watch a bunch of bad TV to like purge it from his brain. And as I was reading this, I was like, you know, here in 2022, we're in this world where now Gibson is. His vision of the future is the semiotic ghosts that we're stuck with this Mm -hmm. kind of weird, junky virtual reality thing, this nightmare world that he was describing that for some reason, a bunch of these tech bros read and thought like, oh, let's go to there. That sounds awesome. And they're actively trying to build that world. And we've got to fig- we've got to figure out the speed and bad TV that'll purge the, the the Gibson semiotic ghosts out of our out of our uh, uh, collective unconscious somehow. I don't know how to go about doing that.
2: It's um, interesting, you know. It, it reminds me there's a, there's a story in the book of when I was uh, hanging out at Timothy Leary's house the day that he happened to be reading um, the entirety of uh, Stuart Brand's Media Lab, the first book about Nicholas Negroponte's MIT project, and. Uh, I see him reading it and he's got like these felt tip pens of different colors. And he's just going all over the thing and circling and writing stuff in. And I thought he's like loving this book and he gets to the end of it and he goes, Bleh! and he throws it across the room. Like practically I've got it here. He better break, you know, breaks the binding of the thing. And, and um, I wonder if I should, I should... I've got it. I've got it. I'll find it before the end. Um, And he, uh, I'm like, what Tim, what, what? And he goes, first of all, you know, less than three percent of the names in the index are women right and this is interesting. this is back in like 1992 or something so that's an interesting observation to make especially back then he goes that's how you know you know these guys are fucked up and then he said and second he goes these guys they're just trying to recreate the womb huh he goes. Look, they there He was a shrink, you know, uh, by by trade. He goes. Their their mothers were incapable of anticipating their needs, so now they want to build a technological womb that will keep them safe and. And hermetically sealed and away from all the unpredictability of life. But they'll have these kind of robots and algorithms that will bring them food and sex and entertainment and everything they want. And they, they, and they will be able to predict when they want it before they know they even want it. So they're, 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 they will never be in a situation of having an unsated desire. And I, I, I thought he was not crazy. I was just like, huh? But. But he was, he was right. Oh, here it is. It's like, he's like, it's like the whole thing is filled with just these like angry, you know, angry comments. And I'd be, there's his, his pictures. He did of, of, he's like, what? No, no. It's like, what's his no. It's a. Right. Oh, so this is a subtitle. Humanism through machines. No. (laughs) No. Or, 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 or the Media Lab is inventing the psychology of diversity, and he writes, "Huh? Huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very We're all watched over by machines of loving grace moment. There,
2: it is. It is. He's a. He's like a Barvin Binsky. Dishonest. We got dishonest kind of- or idiotic? Question mark.
0: <laughs> we got kind of a preview of this during the pandemic, didn't we?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a preview, but I think that the the pandemic, I felt so guilty so much of the time in the pandemic, because I got to experience my own inner billionaire prepper, you know, it's, oh, I've got my, I mean, I know, but, but, you know, it'd be like, Let's get an Amazon Video doorbell and a Grubhub and and DoorDash and let these poor fuckers bring us everything that we need, you know, so we could stay safe in our bubble. And there were people even in my neighborhood, and I'm in a, I mean, this is upper middle class, but not like like this is a, a, a economically mixed town that I'm in. There were people, there were people. They were creating these um, bubbles for their kids where they would hire like a tutor to come in or more than one to like a math science tutor and an English social studies tutor would come and they'd have like a group of three kids and everyone would agree not to go anywhere else. And they would get these private, like private school in their backyard. And a lot of them were saying, you know, I was always thinking about maybe doing some kind of a homeschooling thing. and But now they have an excuse to use the wealth. That they've, uh, that they've accumulated and finally do what it is that they would have done all along if it wasn't for their kind of progressive (laughs) communitarian ideology, which is let's just friggin' cut off and 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 do it. And everybody had a little bit of it because we were justifiably afraid of the bug, you know. So we get, you know, the groceries come, you leave them in front of the house for a few hours and then spray them down with bleach and slowly bring. I mean, that was that early days. We didn't know what was going on. You know, there could be monkey pox on these things. Who knows? So we, we live like that. And I think even though it was lonely, I think for some it was like, well, yeah, this is why we have that house in the Hamptons and why we got the super Wi Fi fiber and everything else. And I'm fine working like here and not going in and seeing those people. But it gave us all the ability to not I mean, I thought more because I'm a weirdo, but there were people like dying of COVID working in meat plants to get us stuff at the long end of our of our crazy supply chains. And uh I don't know, but yeah, we got a we got a preview of of this, and uh, uh, I think hopefully enough of a sense of why that doesn't work to now that as we can come out, we can say no, we're going to need a different, more commons, communitarian based approach to this.
0: So this is this is something that worries me is that I do think that all of us have a little bit of that mindset inside of us now, in that there is there you know I, I definitely saw this in me during the pandemic. Uh, there is that sense of wanting to retreat. Into these fantasies, into these digital wombs, right? Yeah. Uh, like there are a lot of us out there who look at Bezos and Musk and Zuckerberg and see them as aspirational. You know, how yeah. Do you- well, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Stuart Brand told us. He said, "You know, we are as gods, and we may as well get good at it." You know, that was his his famous quote. And guys like 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 Zuckerberg and Musk and Theo have taken that. Seriously. And they will look at me and say, and I've spoken to a couple of them who will say, Doug, you know, you still have that shtetl mentality of your grandparents, you know, that you're just going to do work and sell what you do and live. That doesn't work that way anymore. You've got to become, you know, you got to go meta on that. You've got to become, you know, the owner of Rushkoff Inc. and, and uh, move up again, go meta, move up a level, become the, become, Self sovereign, which is such a great, I mean, it's such a great oxymoron. I'm self, so so I'm king of myself. So there's two of me, there's me, and now there's meta me, not mini me, there's meta me, right? Who's now sovereign of me. It's like, well, wait a minute. That sounds like you're telling me to exploit myself, right? To be king of this poor dude. I like, I already run this poor guy into the ground as a freelancer. You know, this life, you know what I mean? Which just, I'm a terrible boss to myself. I'm terrible. Um, I would be a terrible king to myself as well. I would rather be uh, one of everybody. You know, it's like, I, I don't need to be two of me, but, but yeah, that, that's where, that's where they, they go with it. And we all, we all. It's interesting. It's like the different version of the company man, where the original company man is you'd go, you'd go to work, you work hard, you go to a good neighborhood. Now it's like if you are not becoming a kind of self sovereign Apple Watch, you know, datafied self, you are not rising to the true potential in this kind of, you know, Tim Ferris four hour work week. Figure out, don't go to Harvard, go to the Harvard you know, neighborhood bookstore and put it on your resume that you went and spoke at Harvard. And then you'll get, I mean, that's what they're advising in these books. I'm like, what the fuck? Why? What? What, what are you trying? What are you trying to get? And that only, it's only required in a world where everybody's fake and everybody's competing and, and, and nobody's actually enjoying the moment to moment experience, of of their lives. And it requires, this is the thing that they're, they're finally realizing when you live that way, eventually there's a comeuppance, whether it's, they're going to find you out. So you're always running from discovery or failure or, or cancellation, or you're going to create so much damage, so much exhaust that it will find you. The forest fire will get your Malibu home you know there's the the monkeypox will get your kid you know the the uh, m- you know misogyny will reach your rudolf steiner school you know something it, there there is no escape and that's where where the, there's no dream of uh th- there is no virtual uh, paradise there there is no way out and and how many times do we need that lesson whether it's going to be covid or ukraine or or the smoke inhalation, you know, 2000 miles away from the forest fires in, in, uh, in California. Like eventually Fukushima, the, the, the radiated fish that are still showing up in Seattle. You know, it's like, this is it. This is, you wake, you wake up to this. Yeah. It's, there's, it's,
0: strikes me as incredibly nihilistic and, this is a, a problem I think is a part of a broader culture and a broader conversation, but it just seems like no one has a good vision of the future. Um,
2: That's because we don't need, I mean, this is the thing. This is what at the very beginning of the book, I say, I'm often mistaken for a futurist. Visions of the future may be the problem because we're using visions of the future to distract us from the re on the ground reality of the present. You know, I'm, I'm, I've become kind of stridently, Anti-ends justifies the means. There is no – if you're not doing it, this is the way I end the book. If you're not doing it in the moment, then you're not doing it. And on a lot of podcasts I'm on, they'll say – so if you were – what I just did yesterday, if you were a benevolent dictator of the world, What one change would you make? And I'm like, I don't think this is a valuable thought experiment, right? I really don't. That's like, maybe it's valuable for Jim Rudd or Tristan Harris or Daniel Schmachtenberg or somebody, you know, these guys who are maybe smarter than me or have systems theory behind them. But, but it's not good. It's not a good way for us to think because you don't have that. It's better to think what adjustment can i make on the ground as an individual right here in my comportment and the way i deal with with the other people in my life so you know i, I it's not a matter of having a, a a vision of the future it's a matter of even believing that we can have a future <laughs> you know it's like how do we get there but the way we get there is truly is really through present action you know you don't you don't, and that's the thing. These billionaires, when they call me in, they're calling me in to help them make a better bet on the future, as if the future is this thing that's inevitably coming, and the best we can do is bet on this scenario. I remember those guys telling me, you know, that their forecaster said there's a twenty percent chance of the event occurring in their lifetime, so they're taking twenty percent of their money and putting it into survival strategies, into their into their rocket ships or whatever they're doing. Twenty you know, percent. That's fine but if if you really want to be empowered you would say oh no the future is something we create together through our actions in the present which i still you know i'm i'm still idealistic enough to believe that we do and therefore we can really have super high leverage points by doing a bit of degrowth and using a bit less stuff every minute you spend you know just enjoying a friend is a minute you're not pumping more steroids into the market and and hopefully you're you're making the world a better place just like that so, which is uh, not to say I'm not anti—I don't want people to think I'm anti-tech. You know, I'm not some kind of whatever. You know, Cliff Stoll, Nicholas Carr, kind of. Oh no, the tech. You know, I, I love this stuff. I still do. We're talking on. This is mad. This look what we're doing here. Look what we're doing. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I was still. I had a cassette recorder and a little square microphone, and I would be able to back back and forth to do this. Look what we're doing. I don't even know where you're. Like in Brooklyn or California? Where are no, you? No,
0: I'm in South Carolina.
2: Yeah. See, so fucking these these devices are amazing. They do wonderful, wonderful, magical, wonderful things. But the real world is coming apart, and the people who are making these screens for us not only know they are the cause, but they mean to escape the coming catastrophes and 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 truly believe in their heart of hearts that their last best hope is to double down and apply even more technocratic totalizing solutions to these problems rather than unwinding a bit and admitting wait a minute there's there you know maybe we are maybe we we have internalized a mindset that uh uh that that assumes catastrophe and escape our, our necessary conditions of, of any civilization. All right, cyber so listeners, we're going to pause there for a break.
0: We'll be right back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are talking to Douglas Rushkoff about his new book, Survival of the Richest. I know we're talking about disasters on a larger scale right now, but the tech industry itself has faced disaster before, right? Can we talk about the dot com crisis and how it kind of paved the way for all of this stuff?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There were a few moments of real sadness for me coming because I was such a little, you know, techno utopian, little cyber hippie. Grateful deadhead acid taking Gaia hypothesis. We're all going to connect and love each other now. Uh, kind of guy that there were a couple of moments. I mean, one was when Wired magazine came and reclaimed, you know, took the whole thing from Mondo 2000 you know, and made it. This is about business. You know, the tsunami is coming. If your business isn't, doesn't understand what's happening, you're going to get swept away. When that happened, um, the day that Netscape went public. When I was like, wait a minute, this was mosaic. This came out at University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And the day that they did their IPO and went public was the same day that Jerry Garcia died. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, we're really going to leave the 1960s values of this whole earth catalog built internet we're going to leave those behind and then the day you know and i'm still I, w- I was a tech writer you know like you know writing about technology And i was the guy the new york times called in 1999 when uh aol was buying time warner they wanted me to write the op-ed for it and i was like uh this is like a business story and like yeah but it's a tech thing so i i just get it to us by three this afternoon so I investing I look, I read and I say okay, it looks like AOL's sort of subscriber base is peaking. The 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 rate of of new subscriptions is 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 slowing and he's got these massively inflated shares. So I guess what Steve Case is doing is trading his funny money for real stock, for stock of a real Time Warner that owns like movie studios and Roadrunner cable and and amusement parks, they own Six Flags. I get it. And and so I wrote this piece saying, okay, this means probably if this is any kind of leading indicator, what Steve Case's purchase of Time Warner with AOL stock means is that the dot com crash is coming, that, that, that they're cashing out and this is going to be serious. And he's probably going to take down Time Warner with them because they're going to have this giant, uh, 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 investment to pay back. And I get a call back from the guy at the Times that the head of the op-ed page is like, what the hell are you writing? We can't publish this. Everybody in the business section says that, that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, that this is the synergy of old and new media, that this is the, the new economy. Even Alan Greenspan said we're in a new period. This is a new paradigm we can. not And I was like, if the people in the business section really believe that, let them write the op-ed, you know? So they wrote the op-ed saying, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I published mine in the guardian of London because they were, you know, good and lefty. And of course, duh, who was right. I mean, I was right. but And the whole thing came crashing down. But what happened then was was instead of getting now the beautiful new social internet that we thought, the investors said, okay, we're going to come back. We're going to do this again in the 21st century, but we're not just going to give money to tech developers to build their dreams. We're going to give them money and then make them pivot to whatever it is that we say is going to make the most money. So little Mark Zuckerberg, oh, you want to find girlfriends online? Oh, that's really sweet. Now pivot to this buddy. Um, and that's what they did is what they did even to the kids, the the Stanford boys the the, the who came up with, you know, Google practically in their dorm room. It's going to take down big bad Yahoo with this, you know, new linked bottom up algorithmic system. And, you know, they're making a few billion dollars a quarter. And then Sequoia Capital comes around and says, OK, what else you got? We're only making a few billion dollars a quarter. How are we going to grow? Where's our thousand X? We're only a hundred X. And then they come up with, oh, well, we could start selling this data and you get Shoshana Zuboff's, you know, surveillance capitalism. So it's always the, the pivot away, uh, from, from what they wanted to do, you know, and that's what happened in the dot com boom. It's what it, and then led to this, this other landscape where. The financialization, the finance guys went meta on the internet. The internet itself is like a restaurant that got sold out to the mob. You know, it's not about serving food. It's about running money.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone who peruses the internet without the benefit of an ad blocker of some kind feels that uh, these days. It's, it's, It's getting hard to read anything that you're not subscribed to, that you're not paying for up front. So it'll just be which pep- is
2: beautiful in a way yeah. mean, people should then pay. I mean, what did they think? You know, what do you think? You can, you know, you can get a real newspaper or you can buy one of the, you can get one of those free ones on the subway. You know, that God knows who's, who's, you know, editing that thing. Uh,
0: I, I, I've got to talk about one of my favorite bits in the book. Um, Ted talks, which you describe as the mindset's greatest crime against the human project.
2: <laughs> what's uh what's wrong with ted talks you know god bless i mean they're sure there's good ones i did one it was brilliant um the, the frame of the ted talk is i have a good idea that could solve the world's problems and i can explain it in 12 minutes and if you can't you know so basically each one of these each ted talk has the same formula of kind of like okay here's the way we're looking at the problem you're all wrong um, what you need, and but if you just flip this switch, if you look at black is white and white is black and red is blue and blue is red, basically take this pill and you'll see. Oh, it's the other way, you know. So instead of you know saving immigrants from floods, we save floods from immigrants. Oh, that's all you have to do, and you know, or you know, you use the 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 internal DNA of this mushroom fiber and drop it from the sky, and pollution will be saved. It's like each it it it's it's like the the perfect kind of uh uh condensation of uh, aristotelian narrative form you know crisis climax sleep you know just follow me you know buy my pill suck my dick believe in my god do whatever it is and everything will be okay and it's like no it doesn't work that way there's thousands and thousands of tiny solutions that solve the problem, not your one big one that, that whatever they go, just stand in the little red circle for 12 minutes and, and say this, the, the, the one sentence solution to civilization, you know, and preferably as a kind of bald white dude, you know, and in, in cool pants of some sort, you know, some, some, modern fashion that, that the rest of us can't find. And it's like, no, that's not. It's, that's the kind of sterile, uh, almost IP-driven solution set of Silicon Valley, not the the messy reality of actually uh fixing this world.
0: So how do we fix this world? What is your what what do you think we need to do here?
2: Well I mean you can't fix the future world in the kind of in that, in that ends justifies the means way anyway. You would again, we can't sacrifice these people for those people of the future, you know, for it's like, like Musk or some of these folks say, Oh, there's only like eight billion people on the planet now, but there's going to be like 97 trillion people, you know, by the year, you know, 20,000. And if it's okay to sacrifice people's lives now for the sake of the star seeded generations. <laughs> In the, in the future, you know, um, so I take this other approach where where I think you really when you look at the, the energy problem, which is the main problem, you know, the energy climate problem, you realize that it's not a matter of coming up with a great idea and transitioning to that thing as quickly as possible, because then you're just going to have to send more kids in the Congo to the mines to get rare earth metals to build our, you know, solar panel battery powered lithium molybdenum uh cars but just people hate they think it's it's sad but i would argue just do less just do less i'm not talking about in some you know ascetic way that uh, doing less could mean actually doing more but do do go local get social you know that that degrowth is not a bad thing degrowth is a good thing get off the treadmill and walk around your own neighborhood, meet people. You know, you our market is intolerant right now of people who share lawn mowers. Right. On my block, most people only mow a couple of hours a week. So we could have one lawnmower, one good lawnmower, not some disposable Home Depot piece of crap. One good lawnmower made by real people, real steelworkers at a real factory. Good friggin' lawnmower. Get one lawnmower for the block and we could share the thing. Now that's really bad for the lawnmower business. That's really bad for the economy. It's really bad for growth, but it's really good for us as neighbors because we share, we learn to collaborate and cooperate. That's what human beings, that's what separates human beings from many other species is that we know how to do food sharing. That's what led to civilization is sharing these seeds and things with each other. We learn to share. It's like, oh, wait a minute. So now I know my neighbors were sharing a lawnmower. I don't have to have one in my garage to maintain and fix and throw away and there's less pollution is less that, how do we unwind? And then maybe, Oh wow. So now people in the lawnmower factory only need to work two days a week instead of five, cause they're not making as many. You know, we are not obligated to keep the market growing, you know, and once we get off that um, life gets a heck of a lot better. So I would say it's really, it's, it's as simple as that, that we, 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 we do less, we enjoy each other more, we spend more time talking, playing, fucking, uh, uh, being with each other rather than uh, earning money so we could buy devices that keep us apart from each other.
0: But we do live in a world where people have, they're, they're kind of pushing this idea that market forces are elemental, that they are scientific, that it's part of the the way the universe works, right? How do you win those arguments?
2: Well, that's why I'm a media theorist. What media theorists do best is we denaturalize things. We help people become aware and say, oh, and this is what I did, you know, four books ago, say, oh, look at the corporation and central currency. God didn't actually make those things. It turns out there were these monarchs in the 11th, 12th, and 13th century, depending on where you are, who saw the rise of the middle class and these peer-to-peer local currencies and these marketplaces. And, oh, my God, the middle class is rising. They're going to take our power away. So what did the aristocracy do? They said, oh, no doing biz- small business is illegal. We're going to have a chartered monopoly. If you want to be in this industry, you've got to get a charter from the king. Oh no, local currencies are illegal. What we're going to do is give you a new kind of currency that will let you use it, but you've got to pay us for the privilege of using currency. You're going to have to pay us interest on every piece of currency we give you. And that's what led to the growth-based market. It's that simple, And uh, a an economic operating system that was enforced by monopoly. And It's like if you were raised in a world where there was only the Macintosh operating system, you wouldn't know there's such a thing as an operating system. You would say that's just computer. That's not computer. That's a specific operating system that's put in there. You could be using Linux. You could be using Windows. You could, you could be using anything. And, and once you realize that, you go, okay, this, this is one operating system. It's worked really well for colonial powers to expand and extract and dominate. It's worked really well for the companies that have followed in that model, whether it's Walmart or Uber. But it doesn't really work well for a sustainable economy. So we may need to shift operating systems to something else that works better for the period of history that we're living in, where one where there's no more darker-skinned people to enslave and dominate, where there's no more land from which to suck out more minerals and stuff, when we're going to move from an extractive enslavement-based economy to something else, to this peer-to-peer thing we're talking about. It's part of why Bitcoin was so promising at the Opening moment, you know, in the, in the initial stages, like, oh, so we could, we can authenticate in a peer to peer fashion. That'll be interesting. Um, it, it, it was why it worked, but, but the reality is the reason why I don't see us even needing that is because most of the economic activity we need to do doesn't even need to happen at scale. We, our iPhones maybe need to happen at scale, but our, our, our vegetables don't, you know, and there's, and, and we can, we can build such a more resilient, um, economy and society. If we kind of return to where's my food coming from, where what am I doing? Even those of us in cities to understand sort of what what's our what's our local reality, it becomes uh, a lot less brittle. All
0: right, time out. Think that's good. That a good place. A lot of, we
2: said a lot of stuff.
0: We said a lot of good. I think it was a great conversation. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to play the outro music, and I'm going to.
2: Yeah. I mean, the one the one thing I might add is that, you know, uh, I'm thinking about it now. This conversation feels really serious and because things are really serious. But what I tried to do with this book is I wrote a black comedy because what I wanted us to be able to do was see Stephen Pinker and Elon Musk and Richard Dawkins and Jeffrey Epstein and Marvin Minsky and and, uh, Peter Thiel as laughable as laugh. It's funny. They're silly. They're little boys who are are desperate for this little fantasy. And, and it's, it's so funny to actually talk to them and to hear what they're saying and put it in context. Oh, so you went to Stanford, you had this teacher named Rene Girard, and he told you something. And now you believe what, you know, and it's like, Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 You went to college. It's like you're. It's like I talk to undergraduates all the time because I teach them at CUNY, and I get it. And it's sweet. It's sweet when your sophomore goes, "Wait a minute, what are you saying? That George Washington said what?" And you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the beginning. You're starting to think, and that's good. But there's, you got to keep learning. You got to keep going. And and these guys are such little closed-minded little petty assholes that you know that really you. oh so you went to burning man and you did ayahuasca and now you have the answer for all of us okay you're 30 minutes into your new buddhist ayahuasca being and you already have a blockchain to save humanity it's like give it a week give it a week and look around there's people been working on that problem for a long time maybe you know why haven't I heard of them if they're so good why I remember one of these guys why haven't I heard of them if they're so good it's like because you haven't been looking you haven't been reading it's okay join us don't lead us then
0: I have one more question then if we're thinking about a black comedy and kind of the emperor has no clothes moments that are in the book uh, tell me about going to a dinner party with
2: Richard Dawkins It was crazy, right? You know, this is back when I was, I was on the periphery of like the edge, you know, the John Brockman's group of scientists and people. And, you know, it was like me and Jason Calacanis were the two kind of 20 something, you know, kids who knew about this internet thing that was coming. So they used to invite us to some of these things and he certainly knew how to leverage it in a way that I did. Well, I guess I did too in my own way, but, um, uh, He invested properly, but so I'm at this, I'm at this, uh, you know, dinner party thing at Brockman's Central Park West apartment with all these luminaries who I'm just delighted to be in the room with people like you know dawkins and all and you know dawkins freeze he folds one of those little fortune teller things on the table you know the 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 i don't know what those little paper things and he goes this is a meme and he's explaining how you know it's an instruction set and it comes back and and he's he's everybody's enthralled and all and then you know and eventually i hear um Naomi Wolf, of all people, is, uh, and this is like right after what you're kind of the height of her 1990s career when she's like the, the big, you know, feminine mystique, feminist person. And he, she and, and Dawkins are having this argument about, um, whether there's anything else that can't be just explained by scientism, you know, and, and, and Dawkins has this staunchly materialistic understanding of the world. And Naomi Wolf was more spiritual. She's like, yeah, but aren't there things? Isn't there that that the stuff we can't explain? What happens when we die? What is love? How? And he's like, oh, you're 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 crazy. There's nothing else here that can't be explained by you know, mechanistic science and all. And I sort of originally got to kind of try to come to her defense, and I kind of try to bring Wittgenstein into it and systems of meaning, and 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 try to present the idea that scientism is itself. Based on the assumptions of that we live in an evidentiary reality, and they're, they're, you know, philosophy has dealt with staunch scientism. It, it's we've, we've already neutralized it, and, and it's like, dude, you should read the news. You know, of of the nineteen thirties, and you would see you're you're you're. And he goes, and I say, so finally I'm saying, well, what if the universe is, you know, leaning towards more moral outcomes, sort of the, the, the Martin Luther King thing that we're tending towards that, 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 that evolution may be and human consciousness, may be groping towards something. And he goes, Oh, you know, so you're a moralist. And they all laugh at me, (laughs) you know, sweet boy, you moralist. And then, you know, it's like 20 years later, of course, I see, you know, Dawkins and and the rest of these scientists on the Lolita Express, you know, you know, buddies with Jeffrey Epstein. And. Like, who gets the last last laugh then? Um, well, still them probably, but I mean, at least internally, I, I feel like I do because that's where you tease me for being a moralist. And then you wonder why your scientism dovetails so neatly with the God complex of a Jeffrey Epstein, right? Because if we are just at the mercy of our selfish genes, then we may as well act like it, right? It's sort of a flip on Stuart Brand there. If we're just selfish genes, then yeah. Then the object of the game, Epstein got it, is spread your selfish genes as much as possible. Build a facility on an island or in New Mexico where you can house 20 beautiful young women who can, you know gestate your, you know, (laughs) incubate your seed and create the master Epstein race. Of course you would. If there's nothing to answer to, but the selfishness of your genes. But there is something. Go to Richard Dawkins own site. For the, you know, he's got this, uh, kind of anti God, um, uh, uh, foundation that he has. And even on there, it says, Oh, you know, you know, use your something other than your selfish genes and please donate. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay. So even the premise of your foundation is based on the possibility that the selfish gene doesn't really run everything. So. You know, they're, they're, it's silly, but it's like this simplistic. Yes, these guys are smarter than me, for sure. Dawkins, I'm sure he's smarter. He's a genius, dude, smarter than me. But his worldview is so limited by, uh, by the mindset, really, uh, or, or his branch of the mindset that, again, that these, the, these guys uh, always end up kind of hoisted on their own petard. It, it doesn't lead us in, in the most intelligent directions.
0: Douglas Rushkoff. Thank you for so much for coming onto Cyber and walking us through this. The book is Survival of the Richest Escape Fantasies of the Tech billionaires. Is it billionaires? It yes. is billionaires. It is billionaires. <laughs> um, thank you. This was a wonderful conversation, probably one of my favorite cybers that we've that we've done. Um, if you like the show, follow us on uh, I'm gonna have to re-record this. <laughs>
2: you got to record because this is the music I
0: know this is that's the the, (laughs) now this is just going to be out there in the open this is just how the sausage gets made if you like the show we are available wherever fine pods are casted we are also occasionally doing simulcasts on twitch follow us at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard tv get notified when we go live we'll be back next week uh, with another tale from uh, the internet it is a dangerous place stay safe out there and buy Rushkoff's book read it understand the mindset Understand this water we're all swimming in and learn uh, how to look across the street. Help each other out. Yeah. And you will always be safe on the motherboard. (laughs) That's good. I like that. I may steal that.
1: (laughs) When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.